Welcome to the Green Data Center Podcast, Season 3, Episode 5. The aim of this podcast has been to inform the listeners about what's happening in the world of data centers, as well as the world of sustainability and where they intersect. There is a website that goes along with this, greendatacenterman.com, so please visit that and send a message if you'd like to hear certain subjects, topics, or if you have any questions that might come up that you'd like to know more about. There are links to courses for those that are new to data centers and just looking to launch their careers and get involved. And they are at udemy.com, U-D-E-M-Y.com. And the links there have the discount code that can be offered. There are links and sources there as well that can help you with your career in the data center industry. And that's whether you're a mechanical engineer, electrical, or architecture, or project manager. Let's jump right in with some big news of another merger acquisition, and this time a sell-off. We're looking at Global Switch, who is looking to sell their data center company, for which is valued around for around uh, $10 billion. And they're looking for bidders, and it probably is going to end up being divided as opposed to someone just going ahead and buying them outright. Marketing materials and such for this sale are starting to go out to prospective buyers. Now, how many buyers are there going to be at $10 billion? Well, I think uh, Cyrus One and a few others know whenever you're doing these mergers, these acquisitions, there's only a certain amount that are going to be interested. And this might be interesting for a large company that is looking to make a bigger splash or take up more of the data center space. Now, while this might spark interest from, say, the ones we already know about, like the Equinixes and Digital Realty, others, such as Iron Mountain, who do have a lot of cash on hand, might be interested in suddenly becoming what their original goal was, to become one of the biggest players in the data center market. Now, there's others that are interested, of course. You've heard about Digital Bridge and how they recently acquired Switch. Um, and, of course, Digital Realty and Equinix are probably interested But others like uh, Blackstone, if you recall QTS and KKR, uh, a few deals out there with them, they're probably getting some of that material as well and going to have a good look because they might be some of the ones that have already raised capital that they can already lay down and maybe even lay down more capital in order to pick up that entire 10 billion that they're talking about. Now, all of that interest aside, Global Switch might not even sell. They might even just take themselves private away from their current owners, which is, I'm going to get the name wrong, but it's Jiangsu Shangang Group. And they're backed by Avic Trust Company. And the reason why is because that's basically a steelmaker. It's a Chinese steelmaker is the current owner. So if you think of that being a core business for a Chinese steelmaker, no, um, pretty much not at all, which is probably why they're looking to either spin them off or see if there's a buyout available on the market. Now, there's likely going to be a good amount of interest, and that's because Global Switch is showing profit. They're showing actually stable year-over-year profit, 2020, 2021. They're looking at 5 to 6%. Now, 5 6%, that might not seem like much to a lot of people, but that's a nice and stable earnings. And if you can guarantee that with a large investment, it's a nice place to park your your cash while the market does some volatility over the last weeks and maybe in the coming months as well. Some of their other numbers might not be impressive either, but it still takes a lot to get there. 
um, whenever you think about it. They do have 13 data centers and it encompasses about 4 million square feet, about 400,000 square meters. And in order to get there, you really have to build that up. And those data centers are in EMEA, Europe, and in APAC, Asia. So in order to have them and have those customers there, you do have to be doing a few things right in order to keep that profitable. But this $10 billion, that valuation, that's what I'm wondering about. Is it really $10 billion or is it really worth more? It might be really ripe for some product improvements and it doesn't look like they're developing any new data center space uh, at least over the last year or so what this looks like is that there's opportunity to improve their data centers to make them more green more sustainable or just to go ahead and peel out some of the perhaps inefficient operations and that means you could be more competitive so as more and more operators and owners are looking to land in a data center like a colo space that does have those green opportunities that is paying attention to the environment, they can go ahead and land in one if Global Switch starts to pivot that way. So we'll be paying attention to what's happening there. And this looks like it's going to be the second big billion dollar deal. If you recall, we talked about um, the $11 billion deal with regular Switch with now any global and Digital Bridge Group buying them out. That's probably going to close in the second half of 2022. This might prolong, though, Global Switch might prolong a lot longer, so we might be looking at a year to uh, see what they figure out for themselves. Now, they are London-based for their operations, even though they are Chinese-backed for their, uh, their trust and ownership companies. Being London-based can help them because they already know the market, and if somebody's looking to move into that market in Europe or Asia in particular markets, or maybe they even spin off the different European and Asian groups, they can go ahead and see about doing that. So Global Switch has a lot of options in front of them, and they're probably looking to make sure that they can still keep those steady profits and still keep going as a relatively simple um, data center operator going while they make that transition or if they get acquired by somebody else. Let's see what's happening around Europe. There's a couple of data centers that are opening, one with Alibaba in Germany, another one, XL360 in France, um, and I'm sure that there's others that I'm missing, but the real story to me is Ireland and what's expected to happen there, and there's probably going to be a lot of friction as the hyperscalers are looking to land more facilities in Ireland, and if you think of their facilities as being those 200,000 square feet or 20,000 square meters, they're massive facilities. And they're going to land not just one of these, you know, 200,000 square foot facilities. They're going to land three, four, five of them. And of course, that means it's going to take a lot of area and, of course, a lot of power. And of course, there's pushback. So some of those developers that are looking at that, uh, you know, at doing that might want to also figure out what the pushback is going to be by some of those uh, some of those major upswelling groups. And right now they are divided. It seems to be divided around Ireland, especially around Dublin, wherever most want to land. But the groups tend to be a little bit more divided. It makes it a little bit more easy or for those hyperscalers to go ahead and say, well, we're going to make certain provisions, promises, making sure, and they will. They'll follow through with it and everything. But they're looking to land in like that North Dublin for some of them, and they're getting pushed back there first. So we might see something... Uh, land there first as far as like a deal, that kind of thing, um, to see what happens with those hyperscalers that want to move in. 
In North America, Aligned Data Centers is gaining more traction with their sustainability-backed loans. And what that means is, even though that they have reliable and efficient data centers, they are operating also all their financials very green and clean. So that's gaining a lot of traction with a lot of users that just want that through and through to make sure that if they are using somebody that they can go ahead and, and uh, have the, one of the best that's out there as far as the green sustainability data center companies. And of course, not to be outdone, Stream Data Centers um, launched a new investment vehicle that's very much along that same lines. So Aligned had theirs move up to about $1.75 billion, which might not seem like much to a lot of people, especially we're talking about these $10 billion deals. But to have a loan online of that amount in the sustainability realm is notable. And of course, uh, Stream you know, is following suit, and we're probably going to see others do the same. So as more and more companies pivot to sustainable-backed loans and sustainable-backed uh, investments. All right, another one to keep an eye out on is Intel. And they are looking to build a 200,000-square-foot research and development lab in Oregon. And it's going to be on data center technology. So they're going to be building a test lab, a play lab. And this is not the first, of course, it's out there. Microsoft did this in Seattle um, several years ago. And wow, you know, some of these things that they're looking at are probably going to include what does it mean to have, uh, you know, super cooled and how do we support quantum, all these different things that might be there and looking to play with. So what does it mean to go ahead and run things super hot or how hot can we go with some of the equipment that's out there? That's the, one of the things that Intel is really known for. If you recall some of the things that they've done, they've just moved all of their data center or all of their processing with uh, loads that were not necessarily uh, critical out into a parking lot, covered it with a tarp and just saw how long it would run, what the failure rates were on the servers, etc. Um, that was one of the first ones over a decade ago, if not more. Um, but they have been very well known on doing a lot of these things. So glad to see them move into that area and see what kind of papers and outcomes we can look forward to seeing from that lab. And it might be nice to see what some of the other labs are that are out there. And I'm also talking about like the national labs, like if you think of Oak Ridge or the Lawrence Livermore, other national labs that are out there, um, Colorado to wherever they may be. And they've been playing with data centers for a while. And to collaborate with NIST and others, we might see a new age of these uh, data center technologies start to emerge. And not just how they're you know, operating on the power side, but also how they're cooled, how they're just operating more efficiently. And maybe we could just go forego cooling altogether, depending on how robust we can get the technology. Another data center to be aware of that's aiming to be carbon neutral is the one that T4 is planning in New Zealand, and it's in Southland, New Zealand. And their data center is aiming to be 100% carbon neutral, and they're aiming for it to be a tier four data center as well. So they've got two power sources, they've got redundancy across the equipment, etc. So they're really never going to go down. But the way that they're looking at doing this is that they're having enough of this energy that they can also reject for that waste heat and enough of the uh, the power sources that are going to be carbon neutral, they can go ahead and claim to be a carbon neutral data center, the first of their kind in New Zealand. Now, New Zealand isn't necessarily known for massive data center hubs with uh, massive hyperscalers landing their you know, massive data centers there. 
but they are trying to create more of a data center campus, but they're doing it in a more modular fashion. So they're creating hub and spoke kind of theme. And the idea is that they would keep building on this as they go. Now, the initial investment is 50 million, which a lot of people might consider paltry, but for New Zealand, it's a considerable investment. And especially for doing a carbon neutral data center, that's very good. But the way that they're doing it in that modular fashion means that they don't need to necessarily build out all these tier four mechanisms and equipment and everything else for a massive data center they can keep everything small and then they can do all the offsets all the commercial reheating and, and reselling everything else to make sure that they do the that carbon offsets and neutrality and then they can start to build on from there and of course new zealand being what it is they are also looking at offering training for individuals through their institutes that are there the southern institute of technology in order to create more of a hands-on program for people to get into the data center industry. Of course, they're seeing that lack of talent, the people that are there to pull from, that have that expertise, whether it's in the data center industry or elsewhere, that can really pay attention to what a data center needs. And because of that, that lack of that talent pool, they are investing um, with that institute as well. So as a hands-on, they can also have a job as well as get on-the-job training, which might sound a little sketchy for a data center, but this type of data center being a, a tier four has some redundancy, some nice redundancy built in where you can go ahead and have a lot of things and poke around the one side, like the B side while the A side is operating and really make sure that your team members know how to operate both sides, whether or not they're identical or not. But that way they can do a lot of training that can be very hands-on for their smaller data center and also to help track them, make sure that they are being honest about that carbon neutrality going forward. Okay, let's turn our attention to Singapore for a little bit here and what their moratorium has done and where they're at today. So in the past, Singapore has been a growing influential city, very much a hub in Southeast Asia and the place to be if you're doing commerce and also for data centers. Uh, the thing about Singapore though is it's about two degrees off of the equator. So it's always warm and it's always wet. So there's a couple storms a day. And I'm not joking, there's a couple rain, rain showers a day, depending on the season, of course. But this leads to data centers and cooling having a hard time. And therefore the efficiencies aren't as good and getting a good PUE out of your data center can be harder and harder. And because of that, it uh, takes more energy to go ahead and cool those data centers. It takes more energy overall for this sm small island nation. And if you're going to devote a lot of power to just doing data centers, they, they're going to run out and they're going to run out fast. So uh, that, that's why they were looking at that moratorium going into place. And it wasn't unpredictable. I mean, just given the number of data centers that were starting to land, including Facebook's data center that they're landing and they even had the news about back in what, 2018 or so? Um, with 11-story data center, they're making the most use of the land, but an 11-story data center is still going to have an immense amount of power required for it. Now, this led to developers, of course, wanting to figure out where the next data center is going to land, especially if it's going to be a multi-story data center. You know, we're talking double digits on the levels here. So in that end, a lot of speculators went ahead and tried to snap up, snap up some land as well as the power and the fiber as well. So back in January, we had already talked about some of the things with this moratorium, that they're looking for a PUE 
a power usage effectiveness of 1.3 or less. And that means that they're looking for the best in class of data centers. And on top of that, they're not just looking at that and saying, oh, okay, if you meet that PUE of 1.3, you're in. No, as a matter of fact, they're saying, you will be allowed, as long as your data center is between 10 and 30 megawatts, as far as capacity overall, but you also have to meet that PUE of that 1.3, but you can't be building this massive data center campus you have to only be building around up to that max of 30 megawatts. And that could be a showstopper for a lot of these hyperscale data centers. On top of that, Singapore's been looking at just allocating certain land types for data centers or land used for data centers. And that's like a lot of other jurisdictions. They will say, yes, you can use this for industrial, say for data centers. Um, but they are open to proposals for other land uses. So those developers, those speculators that have snapped up some land that might be next to, say, that Cario Hotel, they can go ahead and, say, propose something to Singapore that says, we're going to use, say, however many megawatts of power, but we're right next to this Carrier Hotel, and we're going to build whatever that is, and the PUE is going to be super awesome. And that's what they're looking for. And they're looking to be wooed as opposed to being told what they're you know what's being built on Singapore's land and because of that um, we're probably not going to see a lot of data centers spring up in Singapore itself instead right next door we're probably going to see data centers in Malaysia just start to grow immensely right across that strait that's between Singapore and Malaysia now building in Malaysia right next to Singapore is going to be easier for the time being because much like Singapore didn't have any sort of data center roadmap or anything for the industry that said whether there could be these massive data centers that could be there or not. Um, Malaysia is kind of that same way. They're running behind by about five years. So they might have a moratorium, say, in a, another decade. But in the meantime, the major hyperscalers can go ahead and land a lot of these data centers right next to Singapore, just north of Singapore, and go ahead and start operating there. And they will have those longer fiber runs to that connectivity, those carrier hotels. But that's really... That, that's okay for a lot of them. It's not going to be a showstopper like it has been in the past. Now, this doesn't mean that Singapore is not going to be a data center hub any longer that is going to shift north a little bit. As a matter of fact, we're probably going to see a lot of those major data center players still looking to land 10, 20, 30 megawatts in Singapore itself, but they're going to be competing on that efficiency and carbon neutrality as the selling point for Singapore, not just necessarily the power use that they're looking to land. And then they can go ahead and land the larger, massive data centers across in uh, Malaysia, and then have the smaller ones that are super efficient land in Singapore. And that's probably going to be continuing through the, the years to come as far as the prediction. And on top of that, we're going to see a lot of innovation because it is so tropical there in Singapore. We're probably going to see those innovations take place and we might learn a lot about those innovations, what works, what doesn't in that hot and humid environments. And maybe we'll see some of these labs like we were just mentioning Intel, maybe they are going to produce something that can stand that, be more robust and can stand that, uh, that environment that uh, Singapore might throw at you. And because of that, maybe that's the equipment that you end up putting into the box or into that data center itself and not have to necessarily 
worry about how much energy you're spending on the cooling or the power, but instead that you're spending that energy just on trimming things down just a little bit in order to make it operational. And because of that, we're hoping to see a lot of efficiency on these data centers that are going to go in in Singapore itself, but also expand it to other tropical regions, Malaysia, uh, Vietnam, other locations, uh, of course, India as well. And those innovations and such, we're looking to see and really take off on how energy efficient they can be. And then it's not just touting what's on paper, but it's also following that up to see what they, their actual performance is going to be. All right, I wanted to take a very high level view of the data center industry as a whole. And one of the big things that is often touted is the annual growth. And these are not just one source, but a lot of sources. But the one that I'm going to cite is from Technovio. And they have an 18% annual growth projected for the data center industry worldwide. And that's projected to keep growing to about 520 billion by 2025. And if you keep, if you think about where that cycles back to today and 18% annually, yeah, we're already reaching huge billions of numbers here in 2022. Now to get to 520, that means that that growth is just going to keep going on that projected rate at that 18% annual growth. And that's one of the reasons why the data center industry keeps growing. Even during recessions or downtimes in other markets, data centers are going to keep going. And if you think about even just the advent of 5G, and we're using about three times more energy for 5G than we are for 4G, even though it's 10 times as efficient, it's just that growth that we're looking at for 5G and just supporting that alone. Think about AI, all those other demands on the amount of data. And that goes into that 18% annual growth and that expansion to over $500 billion. And that amount of money that's pouring in, it's not just from big investors looking to land the next new and efficient data center. It is also on all of the existing data centers that are operating currently. And that means revamping them, bringing them up to speed, modernizing all of those different techniques that can be done in order to make the old data centers new again. And those existing data centers and their renovations are going to be needed because the requirements for the power into the future is looking at a 20% increase. And that's not necessarily per year, but we are looking at European reports here where they're saying, look, we are looking at 2030, we're gonna have 20% more power just devoted for data centers alone. And that might not be huge to a lot of estimations, but you start doing that in other markets and or specific markets within Europe, where can that be done? And you might hear about a, a lot of renewable projects coming online, but it's not to serve just the data center industry. All right. So it's serving all of the industries and data centers are going to start having a larger and larger slice of that. And how big is that slice? Of course, it's been estimated around 2% of the global power use is going to data centers currently. But on certain markets, it's 4% or even higher, depending on what you're looking at and how you sort of slice the numbers as well. But for the companies that don't have the backing of like a hyperscale or are just operating their own legacy uh, enterprise data centers, they can go ahead and learn off of everything that's been done by all those other leaders in the space to go ahead and apply and say that they have those diesel generators that can go ahead and start to say, well, where can I go and apply the best 
biodiesel? Or what can I do to improve my UPS systems? All those different things that they have to contend with anyway and in order to compete or just keep their own data centers up and operating, we can start to learn from all those lessons over the last decade and start to apply them for every data center. And that's where we are lacking a huge amount. That's a huge growth opportunity for a lot of those operators and owners out there. But on top of that, there's all of the tools that go along with operating a data center. So there's a lot of reluctance of those data center owners and operators. They really will track their power use and what their energy and electricity use is because that relates straight to their bottom line on what that cost is. And they monitor that and then they look at their power, power usage effectiveness and then they can also gauge how much water they're using and how much their cooling systems are using and they will look at that. But very few are looking at their carbon impact. And that's probably one of the things where a lot of corporations are going to say, we need to stop necessarily paying attention to all of the electricity we're using. We need to also translate that into carbon usage. And the more and more that the companies are doing that, and it's not government driven, this isn't regulations or anything like that. It's not top down from government pushing that. But it is more of that bottom up from the companies wanting to know what their carbon impact is and then going ahead and purchasing those renewable energy uses and doing that without spending, having those extra expenditures. They just need to go and find those green contracts and sign up for it. That's probably where we're headed with a lot of those data centers that are already with different owners and operators besides the hyperscalers. Let's catch up on the Climate Neutral Data Center Pact. And this is in Europe, uh, put together by a large consortium of data centers, data center operators, as well as associations that are working with data centers. And the big signatories are big names. So if you think of Google, IBM, all of those hyperscalers, they're on board to some degree. And those associations are also on board. So if you think of some of the big ones that are around EMEA, and it doesn't have to be in the mainland of Europe, such as host in Ireland, um, a big consortium, big association that is also part of this climate pact. What does that even mean? Well, it means that they're committed to the Green Deal, the European Green Deal. And that means they're setting their greenhouse gas reductions per the climate law and looking to do that with their technology and all, everything that they're operating, including water and energy, to be climate neutral by 2050. So those aren't just lofty goals. They are achievable. And there's ways that they're already doing that, especially because it, it matters to their bottom line. One of the big things there is energy efficiency and their PUE targets. And that's how they're measuring things is by PUE, as much as we may love it or hate it. PUE is being used to do the measurements. And they're saying in cool climates, they have to meet a PUE target of 1.3 or 1.4 for those in warmer climates. So think of, uh, you know, Northern Europe um, versus Southern Europe. So that's the difference between Mediterranean and Baltic, right? So those are the PUE targets that they're looking to hit by 2025. But those are for just new data centers. Existing data centers are aiming to hit that by 2030. So that's 1.3 and 1.4 PUE for existing data centers. So they have some time to pull that off. And that goes again into how do we go ahead and renovate some of those existing data centers to make that happen. And it applies to anything with a, you know, a 50 kW power demand. So that's what they're looking at. What's a data center? Well, 50 kW is being pulled for this IT equipment. Therefore, you've got a data center 
and to some people that might be Iraq, and that's fine. Let's go ahead and make sure that we make sure that that can also meet these power, uh, these PUE targets that they're setting. On top of that is that clean energy goal, and that means supplying all of the energy to the data centers, at least 75% of it, with renewable energy. And the ultimate goal is to, by 2025, the end of 2025, I should say, is to hit 100% renewable energy by 2030 and step that up as you go. So you got five years, uh, you know, less than five years to get to 75% for renewable energy. And again, you are doing power purchase agreements, that kind of agreements, and then 100% by 2030. So you've got a few more years in order to get there. Water is also there, but the metrics for water are using the water usage effectiveness. And you're trying to meet that, but the water metrics are very different depending on the type of data center. So that is still a bit undefined as far as what the, the overall consortium is looking at. So this pact might say, well, let's reduce your water. Well, if you're not using any water, it might be a moot point. You don't really have to do anything. Say you're using air-cooled chillers, that PUE might be a problem though. But for those that are using water, I'm sure that they're looking at some metric where they're trying to do some water reduction measures, maybe just less blowdown, that kind of thing, increase the cycles of concentration in order to reduce it, say, by you know 20%, 25 50%. Uh, we'll, we'll try to figure that out um, with a couple of examples here in the future. Now, one of the biggest ones to me is the reuse of servers. And that is a big one because if you think about some of the modern servers, what used to happen is every two, three, four years, you're swapping up for new servers with new configurations. And you're just landing those racks in and taking out the old ones or just you know not even decommissioning them, you're turning them off. Or even worse, you're just not using them and leaving them in place, just abandoning them and they become vampires, right? They just steal power and not do anything. Well, this pact is also looking at for the servers, you're looking to set up more of a circular economy so that you are going to go ahead and have those used servers, but you're going to recycle them or you're going to reuse them somehow. And that's a really big win. That's a big effort, but it's a really big win in order to do that. And that's for 100% of their server equipment, not 90, not 80, that kind of thing. Because some of that server equipment can be old, right? And you're looking at it like, what do I do with this? You might shake your head, but if you're very creative, you could come up with some sort of, of use for that particular equipment instead of just uh, getting rid of it. Or you just recycle 100% of it. And that is probably more the case. Um, also looking to repair and that can be a big one especially for the hyperscalers looking to repair you know even some of the hard drive failures those kinds of things recycling is what's going to happen not necessarily repair but a lot of the other components can be repaired and I think that that's what the hyperscalers as well as like say the big banks or others that are are looking at that saying hey this server is okay let's go ahead and repair it if we can Another strategy they have is the energy reuse or circular energy systems, and that's giving away the waste heat of the data centers to those around them, those in need of heat, right? So if you think about how European cities are often heated, it's not like steam like it is in the United States. It's with hot water, so that hot water circulating around these major cities and supplying, say, all these government buildings and other sources, even down to the home level, are pulling off of these main heating loop systems. Well, those main heating loop systems require power plants, and those power plants are generally, uh, a lot of them are supported by some sort of fossil fuel. 
So if that could be reduced by any measure, even with doing what Sweden has done in Stockholm with the Bantam Fordham uh, projects and just using heat pumps to move the heat from the data center uh, loops to that uh, city heat loop, and it does cost energy, yes, but you're overall gaining um, and not having to have uh, any fossil fuel burning, that kind of thing, you're definitely having that as a gain. And that's where the European cities can start to look at where can we land data centers that will be benefited by this, or where can we land them where they can go ahead and, and act as a heat source as opposed to an energy sink alone. All right, this is all well and good, but um, who's regulating you know, all of these companies and such? Well, they do have a board of directors, they have governance, they have all that specified. And even on their page, they're even saying, look, we're gonna meet twice annually to review the status, where we're at, and if there's a new green metric besides PUE, let's look to adopt that. And that's what they're looking at doing. And even though that they're meeting twice yearly, they are setting a deadline of July 1st, 2023, that they will certify their adherence and that they are complying with everything that is stated thus far. So uh, they're looking to comply with that first certification and making sure that everybody is going to be adherent. And the idea is you have to put in your numbers and go ahead and comply and make sure that you're adhering to those uh, initiatives that are being sought after. Now, if you fail to adhere to this, this pact that, uh, operator or the association that is originally signed on well they'll be removed as a member and they'll take anything away from them as far as that goes but the big thing is hey this badge that says you're complying with all these things and the climate acts and everything else that's going to be removed you're out of the club okay and one of the things that they're just trying to make sure of is they're giving them plenty of runway july 2023 to go ahead and make sure that they can comply with all of these initiatives and you know any pact operator association can also they could just step out of it anyway they can voluntarily say you know what this is too much effort or this isn't the timing for me or you know we're having all sorts of troubles over here this is the last thing we need to be worried about is being a member here we are doing our green initiatives but we're not meeting certain regulations or certain numbers or we cannot show them that's the other thing is they might have a, a certain secrecy they they might uh, suddenly adhere to um, here in the future but overall it looks like with the number of signatories and such you're more going to stand out if you're not part of it than if you are in the group and if I'm an owner operator, I'm definitely looking to aggregate all this information and not just to submit into the climate neutral data center pact here and get that nice climate neutral data center badge uh, digitally on my website or on my data center or wherever I'm going to have it. It's because I'm looking for my own information and to make sure that it meets the muster of a third party like this, that it can go ahead and show it's not just about the energy, the water, but also we're doing the best thing for heat reuse where and when we can as well as that server reuse or recycling and making sure that all of that goes together and that can couple and be brought all together so that you're looking at everything and saying well this is the carbon footprint of our data center operations and use here's our overall facility here's what it is over the entire lifespan of the 50-year facility that we're looking to operate and you can start to do this by understanding how often you're swapping out that equipment. And if you're starting to reuse it, recycle it, that kind of thing, 
it can really start to offset and you're starting to look for more opportunities to do that wherever you are have or are operating your data centers. And that to me is much more valuable than that badge that, you know, and maybe many of those data center operators are already doing this, but for that comparison and going along with that pact, again, you are looking to somebody else's standards and setting that bar pretty high and making sure that you can go ahead and meet that. On top of that, looking for how that can be shared with those that are not on that list or that are, you know, a little bit hesitant to join. And those might be some of those with the enterprise data centers that, you know, they operate their data centers, but it's not their core business. It's not part of their main focus, but they still want to own and operate their own facilities. Totally fine. And there's a lot, of course, to be understood from how this reuse market might crop up and how maybe the servers that the hyperscalers are looking to move on or replace or say, well, these are good, but you know what? We can put them out on the open market. And maybe that's where those enterprise or uh, co-location facilities or other users go ahead and say, you know what? We're going to snatch those up at a reduced price. They're still good servers and everything can still operate and it'll help our PUE and everything else and make sure to help that circular economy stay more sustainable. All right, we better stop there with Season 3, Episode 5 of the Green Data Center Podcast. There's just a lot to cover in the data center industry, and I'm sure there will be more news and other things happening that I might have missed or that you'd like to hear more about. So please reach out via the website, greendatacenterman.com. And of course, you can ask questions there. We'll hope to answer them either here on the Green Data Center Podcast or via email. We do have educational courses to help launch or sustain your data center career that uh, are on udemy.com. And the links on the website give a nice discount for those Udemy classes. Also, what green initiatives have you done in your data center? Or what sustainable measures are you looking at and would apply to a data center? I'd love to hear those questions to bring them up here as well as answer you in email.